You are listening to The Picard. This is a podcast all about Star Trek Picard, the amazing show on CBS that I have come to really love, especially after this last episode. I'm Dan Benjamin. Sitting across from me today is not Keith Ruckus, but Hattie Cook. Hi, Hattie Cook. Hi, how are you? Usually you're right over here on my left. I am. And Keith is where you sit. I have stolen Keith's spot. Keith is out in the office because of our bizarre compressed time schedule today. He is phoning it in. Hi, Keith. That's true. Hi. How, how are, are you? you doing? Good. Yeah, you seem a little rushed today. I'm a little bit. A lot going on. I'm a lot rushed, and uh, I appreciate you making the accommodations for me. But never fear. Even though Anything Keith isn't, you. you're not here physically. You're here uh, emotionally and intellectually with us. That's true. And I, I was going to say we did not get any emails about the last episode. I don't know what happened. That's crazy. But we have not gotten any of them. And I'm, I'm a little sad. Maybe it's because we're doing such a good job, Keith, that there's nothing to say. They have nothing to add. I actually realized I made a mistake last week that I was going to clarify. I was hoping someone would email in about it. Oh, do you want to reveal yeah. what it was or do you want to hold for comment? No, I'll say it. Uh, okay. The Sicarians were introduced in Star Trek Voyager and so was their spatial trajector. In an episode where they uh, Voyager had met a species that was all about uh, good times and giving and they had this amazing technology, but they wouldn't give Voyager the spatial trajector because they uh. wanted Voyager to stay with them and like have fun for the rest of their lives. Oh, lovely. Well, yeah. thank you for that clarification, Keith. You're welcome. <laughs> I, you know uh, that I was waiting with bated breath, uh, hoping that you would clarify that. I mean, we okay. all knew it, Keith. We all were just aware of it and didn't want to say like, oh anything. Oh my I was gosh, upset. Keith. <laughs> and but, we have uh, one really good iTunes review. Ooh. If you want to hear it, we don't yeah, have to. Let's hear it. All right. This is from Dave Tron 5000. Five star review. He says, phasers set to fun. <laughs> <laughs> the hosts clearly love Star Trek and love this show. You won't hear a lot of snark, nitpicking, or complaining. Instead, you'll hear three different views on each show, all centered around an appreciation of Star Trek, comma, Picard, comma, Sir Patrick Stewart, comma, and the great storytelling. Hattie brings a non-expert view, while Keith brings an encyclopedic knowledge of Trek. Dan's in the middle, funny as always, and also uh, credit it with the show's great production values. Lovely. Thank you, yeah. Dave. Dave Tron 5000. Dave Tron 5000. I love it. Yeah. That's that. Well, I have to say before we jump into this episode, this was by far my absolute favorite episode of the show. I absolutely yeah, loved it. Yeah, this one was great. Okay. <laughs> you didn't like A it, difference Keith? Of opinion. I liked it. I didn't think it was the best episode. This is my um, favorite. It was, I didn't say. I don't know. Did I say it was the best? If I did, I take it. I track that. Favorite. It was my favorite. favorite. Okay, it was my favorite. Yeah, I had I had one little issue with the episode, but we'll get to it. Okay. All right, you guys want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, I'm let's, let's do it. I'm ready. No housekeeping. You're, uh, let's let's knock this out, baby. Episode yeah. seven. Woo! Episode seven. I mean, oh, I will say we need feedback from people. If you want to hear right. your thing read on the show, uh, you just email it to Picard at 5by5.tv or uh, go to Picard.fireside.fm and uh, click contact and you can you can fill out the little form and we'll get your email. Yeah. So we need that. We want that. We got to have something to read. And the numbers are going up. Right. It's they're not they're not staying the same. They're not going down. So obviously people are listening, but you gotta have something to say, right, listeners? Come on, let's hear from you. Even good stuff. 
Yeah, right. Not just the bad stuff, not just the corrections. Karen, where's your email? Karen, no, Karen did. I think Karen tweeted me, but uh, that is not a valid mm, way um, to get your comment read on the show. That's a way to talk to me on the once or twice a week that I look at Twitter. Right. So if you want your comment on the show, uh, Picard at 5x5.tv or Picard.fireside.fm. Either one. Both work. Let's Recap time. <laughs> I was waiting. Uh, here we go. We start off three weeks ago at the Daystrom Institute in Okinawa. And it is that conversation that we had only seen the very beginning of between Commodore O and Gerard, Gerardi. Uh, and the first thing out of Gerardi's mouth was, oh, which I thought <laughs> was very funny. Not That's to say, cute. hey, there's Commodore O. She just went, oh. There's Commodore O. I thought that was cute. Uh, o and her are having a conversation. Uh, oh, it's the exact same with what we've seen with like, we know you've seen Picard. We know that, uh, you know, you gave him information. She reveals a little more saying there's like all this stuff that you downloaded from Maddox's database and you sent it over to him. We think he's going off world. And then we want you to go with him and kind of keep it, keep tabs on him. And Gerardi's like, I've never left Earth. I'm not really uh, comfortable with that. And then Commodore O grabs her face and does a Vulcan <laughs> mind meld. Right. At which point we go, oh, my God, she is not a Romulan. Exactly. Right. That was the first thing. And I, and I said it out loud. Of course. We all thought she was a Romulan. Why else yes. would you wear sunglasses? And, right. and even if she just thinks they're cool, that's not logical. Yeah, but and she, I still don't understand the point of the sunglasses because what the theory that I think we all had agreed upon the last time we discussed this was that um, Vulcans have their inner eyelid because the bright sun on Vulcan, they don't need sunglasses, sure. but Romulans do. Yeah. So uh, immediately when I thought when she took them off, I thought she was going to put them on Gerardi. I thought so too. Me too. And it was going to show her something. But no, she grabbed her face and did a mind melt. And we saw some flashes of some real weird stuff, but mostly planetary annihilation. Uh, Immediately, Gerardi throws up because as we know with mind melds, it's very, very intense, especially for people that have never done it. And there's a lot of emotional transference. Vulcans have emotions. They're just suppressed. Right. During a mind meld, you get the full... Even if they're only showing you a little bit of what they want to show you, you still get those powerful Vulcan emotions pushed into you. So she's vomiting, which becomes a, a theme to this episode. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, Especially says, for her. Yeah. says, okay, I understand. I have to go stop whatever is happening. And then C- Commodore O pulls out this little pulsating blue hmm. uh, triangular pill and says, this is a tracker and gives it to Gerardi. She puts it in her mouth and says, you have to chew it. So she starts chewing this tracker. So uh, <laughs> she, I guess in her bloodstream is now whatever this. I'm I'm guessing it's some sort of radioactive isotope that's easy to track through subspace. That's my guess. I think you're probably right about that. My, uh, you know, I was thinking that there's something about it that it's not just you swallow this because it's not just in your stomach, right? This is in your whole bloodstream. <laughs> right. This is in your whole body. That that's my thinking. I yeah. think it is. So, like you chew it, it's like a gusher. You know, like there's liquid on the inside. <laughs> yeah. And it is radioactive material. That's my guess with that. Now we're on the La Serena. We're on the ship. We're back to present day. And the cube has a tractor beam on the La Serena. Uh, and everyone's kind of freaking out. And if you're a Star Trek fan, you know that Borg are kind of known for these impenetrable tractor beams that not only hold your ship, but while you're in it, it can cut through your ship. It can beam drone drones onto your ship. Borg tractor beams are no joke. It's not something you, like in most 
trek you can just get out of. Uh, Rios is freaking out, says he blames Raffi. Raffi says why, and then quotes back to Raffi, Chris, baby, he's an old man. How far is he going to get? <laughs> Which I thought was kind of cute. Yeah. Uh, Raffi is hacking into the cube system, is having a hard time because it's Borg languages. She's not familiar with it. She sees some drawings. uh, Yeah, what was that, Keith? I knew, I I was hoping you would have an answer for this because I couldn't make heads or tails of what the drawings were. Were they the drawings that the um, the, the Romulan, I forget her name, was it Dharma? The lady with the cards? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was things that she was drawing. It might be. That's a good theory. I think it's from her, but it, they definitely showed us for a reason. I was not entirely sure what they were. Uh, Gerardi, uh, Gerardi at that point says, why don't we just ask them to let us go? They're after Picard and the synth. They're not after us. At which point they're all kind of having a conversation about it. And the board cube just releases them. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. We uh, shoot over to Hugh and Rizzo on the cube. Uh, Rizzo is interrogating Hugh and has a bunch of XBs lined up and is asking him questions. And when she doesn't get an answer, she starts shooting XBs in front of him. I was so very sad. I was very, for, very upset about Hugh. that. Yeah. Uh, she points out that Hugh is safe because of a treaty with the Federation because he's human, but obviously lined up XBs that were not races protected by the Federation. Uh, we know from the last episode that Hugh feels a lot of like, governance and a lot of maternal inst- or paternal instincts onto these drones mm-hmm. and then they're just getting shot in front of them she says where are they going and don't you dare tell me I don't know Hugh swallows and gets this bit of confidence and just stares Rizzo in the face at which point the Romulans kill all the XBs in front of them probably about 10 XBs uh, Rizzo says uh, a trillion people are in danger you do not understand what's going on here like I have to find them or a lot of people are going to die but Hugh is steadfast and like not wanting to help Rizzo because he likes Picard. Yep. Back on the ship, they've let it go. Uh, it, obviously, I think it, you know it's pretty simple, uh, easy to say they're they're going to track it. Narek has hopped in a fighter at this point and is following them. And while he drives the fighter, he is also playing kind of with a fidget cube. Yeah, magnets, <laughs> which I thought was cute. Uh, I think that uh, that is to show us that he is very stressed out. Yep. I think he is doing it like he he's not full of anger, but he's he's also like trying to distract himself. He's shaky. He just kind of killed, almost killed someone he loved. And now he's got to track them down. There's a lot going on with Narek, I think. And we're going to find that a lot more in next episode. I think he's also trying to kind of distract himself from the fact that he almost just tried to kill her. And he's sure. like, uh, I'm not going to think about it right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he's definitely off to follow them. Eleanor. Uh, sees Hugh's desperation because af- uh, after all the XBs are dead, Rizzo walks away. Eleanor comes out of hiding, uh, sees Hugh's desperation, and says, "This will not happen again." Like I am, I am now pledged. Like not in so many words, but he's like, "I'm gonna help you. I'm not gonna try and get back on the La Serena." Uh, Eleanor gets in touch with the La Serena. They're like, "Hey, kid, we're gonna pick you up and then get out of here." He goes, "I have to stay." Because uh, he sees another hopeless cause. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and this gonna... one kind of was better than the old one in a way. Right. Yeah, because this one is related. Kill people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, I also wanted to point out that uh, I, I don't know if this is going to be an issue or not, uh, but Eleanor does not have one of those little gray badges. And back in the first episode, or that we, that we were on the cube at least, they said you don't want to be in the Borg cube without one of these gray badges on. Uh. if you remember that 
So that was a setup that has not had a payoff yet. I'm hoping it does. Oh, very nice detail there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, back on Nepenthe now, or not back on, the first time now we were on Nepenthe, the place that Picard and Soji walked through the spatial projector. It's uh, a couple days at high warp away from where the cube was. They are now on this planet called Nepenthe, and the first thing we see is a unicorn bunny. Best ever. Best shot ever. Very and little I detail, screamed. but I, I appreciated that. I screamed because I said, this is my baby Yoda. From now oh, on, the yes. only thing I care about is the Unibunny and how much <laughs> how much I want to hug it and have one as a pet. But I will not go so far as to buy a bunny and then glue a horn onto it because that's cruel. Kind of a uh, kind of a non-Texas jackalope. I, that's my first thing. I, I almost said jackalope in yeah. my head, but I'm like, no, that's horns. <laughs> I thought it would have been very funny if they had just had jackalopes. Yeah, yes, that would yeah. have been great. Uh, a young lady with a bow and arrow uh, and paint on her face uh, sees Picard and Soji pulls back her bow and arrow and says, you know, halt, like, who are you? What do you want? And then Picard, uh, with a big old smile, because he recognizes the girl, says, you might want to point that at my head. My heart is so- my heart is solid duritanium. And he is referencing the fact that Picard has a fake heart inside of him. Mm-hmm. That if he shot her, if she shot him in the heart, it might just, you know, uh, bounce off. Might not do anything. <laughs> uh, and that comes from him being stabbed in the heart by Nausikins when he was fresh out of the academy. Uh he asks the girls, uh, are we safe? He asks the girl, are we safe here, Kestra? And Kestra says she's dressed as a Vivine wild girl, mm. and she pulls out a compass. She's just kind of like a rad. Like, we don't know her story yet, but obviously uh, a friend somehow of Picard, but very, very young. Uh, Kestra uh, says to Picard and Soji, follow me, and they're heading towards a house. Kestra asks who Soji's dad was. Picard pauses for a moment and says, Surely you must know who Data is. And then Kestra asks Shoji, are you an android? At which point she freaks out because I think Soji was still holding on to that last little bit of thread of maybe I'm still a human. But as soon as the word android is spelled out, she's like, now she definitely knows I am not a human. I am an android. And uh, Picard has to comfort her a little bit. They're walking towards the house and we see... Commander Deanna Troy mm. for the there first time. There she is. <laughs> uh, I want to point out that uh, the wig she is wearing in the TV show is the wig she had from Star Trek Nemesis because when they called her to do the show, uh, she had pointed out, uh, you know, like they're all getting a little bit older, and you know that's not my hair, right? And they they had no that like the producers of the show like what are you talking about? She goes, it's okay. I stole the wig. I'll wear it. So she's wearing the same. <laughs> That's wig. amazing. Good yeah. trivia. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that concerned. she had always um, worn wigs until yeah. well after I was done watching that show. I mean, and and found out that like she was always wearing a wig on those shows because I guess mm-hmm. her natural hair was very curly and they wanted a different sort of straight and in some cases alienish style uh-huh. and look and sure. they just thought it would be better for her to, to wear a wig. That's fascinating. There's so though. many times in movies and television shows that they wear a wig and it just really looks like a wig of their own hair. But I think sometimes for styling and stuff, it makes it go a lot faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Uh, I think this episode is the best utilized they've ever used. Marina Sirtis. Uh, she is incredible because like she looks at him, her face changes immediately. She says, you're in trouble. How bad? And uh-huh. then she just looks at him and senses and all the emotions of what he's just been through are flowing out of him. And her look 
is more crestfallen and heartbroken than any character on the show has been so far. She's just absorbing everything. And right. he, he's kind of like, it's okay, I'm fine. Uh, we shoot to inside, and there's William T. Riker listening to jazz in his kitchen because he's a jazz musician, uh, and he is preparing some food. His daughter yells at him, Dad! And he goes, what? He goes, someone's here. Stop yelling! It's Captain Picard that we've seen in the in the previews, <laughs> and it's a beautiful little moment. And then he looks over and sees Captain Picard. He is filled with joy, just brimming to the top with it. They hug. Uh, and he's so happy, and then his face kind of drops and goes, oh, you need a place to hide out, don't you? And this kind of is this reoccurring theme with Captain Picard where like people are, you know, they see him and they're like, whatever emotion they feel, it quickly goes away because they're like, what do you need? Right. Right. And uh, that's kind of sad. I don't know if you noticed it, but when he hugged Picard, um, he he had flour on his hands for making the pizza, and the flour got all over the back of Picard's jacket. Like, all over it. I, I just thought not. that was hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. That kind of goes back with my uh, finger smudge thing from last week. I like mm-hmm. the, these dirty little details. It's a very realistic world. Uh, Picard then says, not Picard, I'm sorry, Riker says, shields up perimeter scans to Max, uh, at which point you realize this old timey house actually has some technology in it. And he says that they've been having trouble lately with the Kazinti. And that's not a race that I'm familiar with. I'm not, I've never heard of them no. either. Uh, also when he said shields up I kind of thought it was a joke <laughs> the first time because he looks at him and just goes shields up uh, and I thought he was just kind of referencing their time together and it's almost the same way when I thought when Picard first tapped his communicator because they All had right. this interesting juxtaposition of like I'm in this old timey wooden house and I'm using technology or vocalizing technology that doesn't seem like it's fitting but it's a part of their culture and it's a part of the future so I just thought that was a kind of a cool juxtaposition of that. I totally agree too. And and the more that I think about it, the more that I think how much it makes sense um, for, uh, for, for people to have in a happy, positive future returned to a more natural way of living. Their houses are made out of wood. Right. Their natural, natural, yeah, yeah, not, not the sort of sterile interior of the enterprise that we're so used to seeing or deep space nine or right. whatever, but this very natural little cottage that's built in the woods of, of trees that were probably cut down right there. Mm-hmm. But like, let's not forget it's the technology <laughs> that we need. And, and, you know, and he's got, he's got all the latest technology out there. Oh, you want an anti-cloaking? See, yeah, we got that. It yeah. was pretty cool. It was really, really cool. I mean, think about how people are now. It seems like the richer you are, the more organic food you eat, you know? Right. Oh, I, I'm brewing my own kombucha. Stuff like that. That's right. <laughs> so it, it lends itself to the future. Uh, Deanna comes in and points out that Soji is unreadable. Uh, when talking to Picard, Picard also says, I can read you, though, and you need a nap. Uh, <laughs> and she says, you can take Thad's room. And Thad's a character we're going to learn a lot about. Uh, the wild girl has returned to the kitchen, wild girl Kestra, with a fresh kill. And she has, like, this, you know, basically this package of, like, bloody meat with her. So she has killed something and brought it back. Uh, Riker says, have you removed the venom sack? And with a macabre sense of humor, she says with a smile, nope, I left it in so we can all bite it, spew black bile, and die. And we <laughs> learn that the name of these creatures is a bunnicorn. Bunnicorn. Yep. And that they are going to eat some bunnicorn pizza. 
with this creature that she just freshly killed. And like, what an interesting way to raise a child in the 24th century. Yes. Right. Very different. Very alternative. I feel like if you went to a buddy's house and they're like, I don't know, six, 15, 16 year old daughter went out with a bow and arrow, <laughs> killed a bunny, came back with just the meat of the bunny and said, Hey, we're about to eat this. You might think that's weird. Yes. I don't know. Yes. I would think that's weird. Um, Kestra, uh, Kestra then is taking um, uh, Soji off to a room so that she can take an, uh, a shower and a nap and get cleaned up uh, and starts asking her a bunch of questions. Uh, when she gets out of the shower, I noticed even the shower is very old and has like almost like a like a garden spigot style turning yeah. valve on it. Uh, asks Ke- uh, Kestra asks Soji, do you like the violin? Do you play the violin? Do you like Sherlock Holmes? Can you can you bend bars? And all of these are things that she has learned about Data. Right. Because Data played the violin. He loves Sherlock Holmes. In the uh, Measure of a Man episode, he had to bend a steel bar with his bare hands. She knows so much about him that she's very inquisitive and is automatically taking a liking to Soji. Deanna and Picard are talking now in Thad's room, and we find out Thad is a child that uh, Deanna and William Riker have lost, uh, which is super sad. Very sad. And I was ill-prepared for that. Me too. Uh, There's even a picture of Picard meeting Thad when he was just a baby, and he's in a little baby Starfleet uniform, which (laughs) is adorable. Deanna wants Picard to stay, says, you know, like, "I, I agree with Will, like, stay as long as you want, but I cannot let something happen to my daughter. I cannot let happen something happen to Kestra. She says, I'm not as brave I used to, as I used to be. And Picard says, no, that just means you're wiser, mm-hmm. which means he kind of understands the foolhardiness of just always jumping into an adventure. But also, like, sure, if I'm Deanna, like, I already lost a kid. I'm not giving up the safety of my second kid. We built something kind of nice here on Nepenthe. Right. Like, I love you, Picard, but uh, my you're flesh old. and blood comes first. Right. <laughs> sure. Uh, we're back on the Lost Serena, and they know they're being followed by someone. Uh, they say it's a little fighter and we find out these fighters are called snakeheads that they are overpowered, have a huge firepower and are very quick. Narek is aboard the snakehead, still playing with his magnet fidget cube. Uh, and Rios has a plan by, because they're, he's kind of staying just out of range of the sensors or popping in and popping out when he's out of range, he's going to hop out of warp and let this ship over, over fling them. They don't know they're being tracked. They just know they're being followed. So he drops out of war, hopefully thinks that Narek's ship has gone by. And then uh, Gerardi says, hey, I want to be the fun person talking about hiding on a comet. But maybe we flew inside a jor- giant Gormagander. Uh, gor- gor- got it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but then ask the crew if, we really, if they really want to go to Nepenthe. I originally thought this was a Star Wars reference when they fly into the asteroid field and they land, but it's a giant space slug that they were actually inside of. Right. But it's actually a reference to star Trek discovery because in discovery, they meet these or not meet these, but they find these giant space whales that are called Gormaganders. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't actually know that. I had to look that up. Uh, Raffi is kind of suspicious of Gerardi now that she's saying that she wants to go home. Uh, and not go off on the adventure because before she was like really determined to like go out. And uh, Gerardi says, look, can't we just turn around, point the ship at Earth and press play, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, Rio says, hey, you know, I, you're not a paying customer. Picard is. We're going right. to find him. I'm going to make sure I get paid. You know, I just I do want to say that I think mm-hmm. that her saying I just want to go home uh-huh. uh, to 
to me, that's very much an indication of her her whole feeling and attitude right now, which is just, She's like, Get me out I, of I this. don't like this. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like what I've done. I don't want to be here. I just, it's essentially saying, I want my mom is yeah. what oh, I, yeah. you know. Well, think of everything that she has had to endure after never leaving Earth and just being kind of a coddled scientist. She's like shot into space, slept with a space pirate, killed her ex-boyfriend. She knows that she, at least she thinks that like this apocalyptic, you know, thing is going to happen unless she stops it from happening and trillions are going to die after doing a mind meld, which again, it was probably very, very intense for her. Yeah. Yeah. She was shaken up. She was shaken up by it. And she has to carry all that around with her. And she's the, you know, I don't know how many other people know all that, but it seems like very few. And that's uh, a sure. lot to exactly, carry around. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing was uh, about that mind meld, I was, there were a lot of disturbing images right. that were flashed very, very quickly. Yep. And a question that I have about a, the mind meld and the mind meld in sure. general, not just the specific one that happened to her. Hit me. It, you know, I understand that in a mind meld, you are, you are sharing more than just your thoughts you're sharing almost your yourself. You're sharing your personality and sure. other things like that. But can you fabricate things in I a was mind ask that Can too. you create something that isn't real? A false memory. And, and, and impose that upon the recipient. From what I understand, no. Okay. Now, you can be very specific with what you share or what you look at. Mm. Like you can say someone, I'm only going to look at your memory of this specific thing and not invade the rest of your privacy. Right. But uh, I, I have never in Star Trek seen a fabricated mind meld. Mm. So that makes me think that, uh, one, all this, you know, the Romulans and Starfleet are working together. Thing is true. Uh, Commodore O is absolutely, you know, we know she's in league with the Romulans, but she is a Vulcan, which is crazy. So they are directly in cahoots and that O is a zealot in her own right. She absolutely believes what she's saying. Right. Right. That this is maybe less clandestine and evil on O's part. The Romulans are evil. Sure. But maybe she does think the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And what she's doing is going to save trillions of people. Right. She thinks she's doing the right thing. And if she is that, that is the emotion she's transferring to Gerardi. Right. So that's powerful. So, yeah, I don't think anything she did was uh, fabricated. It might be misguided, but we don't know that yet. Right. Um, We're back. Uh, Two languages. uh, Riker is making pizza. Uh, is a cute. <laughs> oh, I wanted to point out. Uh, no, wait, I, I skipped ahead. Uh, Rafi uh, sees that Gerardi is uh, breaking down and says, "Hey, come on, we're going to get you what you need." Gerardi, in a very cute way, in the same way Dan, you just pointed out, I need my right. She's like, "Is it cake?" <laughs> Rafi says, "You bet it's cake." Yeah, and it takes her to go get some cake. I also love that Rios, when Picard is not around, is smoking a cigar. Oh yeah. yeah. Like the whole he's time. Still the space pirate. Oh, uh-huh. the whole time he got the cigar. But I think that he kind of straightens up when Picard's around. I right. think you're right. I hadn't really thought about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing, though, that I was thinking about about the cigar is, you know, two two questions I have about that. The first question is, sure. is it simply that in the future, like we've 
gone beyond curing cancer. We can cure cancer sure. and NBD. So is he smoking a cigar and thinking, eh, if I get cancer, I'll take that pill and it'll go away? Or is this like a future cigar? Is this a that space just has cigar? No bad things that, in that, it. Yeah, that can't give you the mouth cancer, whatever. So it all depends on you know, when he drinks, I guess it's synthahol because it's replicated. And synthahol mm-hmm. right. is like the future equivalent of alcohol that is easy. I have to imagine that is a like a tarless cigar. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you're right. Even if it isn't, even if he got it on some planet that still makes cigars, who cares? Right. Right. Take a take a hypo spray and all the damage to your lungs is just gone. Gone. Right. On the panth. Now, now Riker's making pizza. <laughs> Outside with his wood fire oven, there's a really cute scene where Riker is inquisitive about exactly what's happening. If Picard can't tell him, but Picard, like, and Riker's poking at him like, oh, you always know what's best, I guess. I guess no one can ever help you. Uh, points out uh, that the garden is so great because the soil is regenerative. Right. Or regenerative, I should right. say. Uh, and that kind of makes me think of the planet in the Briar Patch where the Baku were in Star Trek Insurrection mm-hmm. a little bit. Maybe that's where they got the idea to find a planet that's like that. And th- he says, we moved here for obvious reasons, right. talking about that. Right. And but so, we still you know, don't know. Right. So that uh, we don't know that yet. Yeah, right. I'm jumping the gun. But <laughs> he says we're there for obvious reasons. Uh Kestra and Soji are heading to the garden past them when Kestra tells Riker that Soji learned the Vivine language in two minutes. And that was the weird language she was speaking earlier when she said she was a Vivine wild girl. And we find out that Thad, her now deceased brother, was very imaginative in an almost Tolkien way and uh, has made, you know, made up this own language just for him because he was uh, wanting of a home world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Soji looks at the food on the table. She's never seen real food before and gives a head tilt uh, that is very reminiscent of Data's head tilt. So reminiscent. <laughs> In- the instant I saw it, I I paused it, I rolled it. it back, and I said, that's Data. And it pissed me off. It did? Why? It, because she hasn't done anything like that yet. Yeah, I, th- I felt the MacGuffin. same way. <laughs> it's like she's had such normal organic movements and then has one android movement. And I bet we're never going to see her do it again. I think it was written in just so that Riker could point it out later. Well, it could also be because now that she's activated and now that she genuinely knows that she's Android, I wonder if all the things that or the systems and stuff that kind of made her be and act way more human maybe are loosening a little bit. I like that. That That's it right now. You nailed it. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) I like that. That's a really nice headcanon way to explain that off. I think that. I like it. Yeah, Hattie. Woohoo. Uh, so Picard then said, uh, Riker says something something funny about being drunk when he had said nice things about Picard earlier. Picard says, speaking of drinking, may I, and points to the bottle of wine that's out, uh, which I kind of dig. Picard's a little bit of an alcoholic, or at least realizes that he needs a drink to calm his nerves, because there's been a lot going on. Well, Andy, I feel like he's kind of, I got the impression that he was a little bit of a wine snob, and he's like, what do you have over here? Like, what are you drinking? You know, let me see if this is any good. <laughs> I like that. That's a cool idea, too. Uh, Riker says, you know what? If you're not going to tell me everything, I'm going to speculate, and you don't have to tell me if I'm right or wrong. I just think I am. And then he points out everything that he sees that is happening absolutely perfectly. Because, you know, he's still a Starfleet captain. You know, oh, yeah. Riker's still intelligent. Yep. Uh, he, sa- he reiterates, like, I think you're being really arrogant about this. Uh, 
I think that you don't know how to go about this the right way because what that girl is is tantamount to a teenager. Even though she's three years old and has the appearance older than a teenager, that's the vibe he's getting. And that's going to be a lot harder than you think it is, is to deal with a teenager. And I dig that because he's using his experience as a parent now. Right. Yep. In the garden, now we have Soji, Kestra, uh, and Deanna all together. And Deanna offers Soji a real tomato for the first time. And she bites into a tomato, which I think is kind of gross. I would, I would, I like tomatoes on some things. I'm not going to bite into a whole. Okay, so tomato. so I I actually brought this up to Hattie after uh-huh. the show. <laughs> sure. And and I remember growing up in Philadelphia. My yep. mom grew, uh, she grew tomatoes in the backyard. In the Chamonix. Yes. Okay. And uh, and I remember this vividly. And I I don't even need to call her and ask her. If this is true, I remember it. I know that it is true. And um, and so I but I never liked tomatoes and I certainly would never hold a tomato in my hand like an apple and take a bite out of it. Maybe right. if I had never seen a real tomato before, maybe. Uh, but when I mentioned it to Hattie, she said, oh, yeah, you, you, you oh, tell yeah. the story. You're like, oh, I, I did that all the time. Yeah, I grew up, what? you know, out in the country i guess out in dripping springs and um and uh we had next door neighbors and they they had a great garden they grew all kinds of things and um uh they they grew tomatoes and i would always wander over there you know like f- between like four and six years old you know and uh they would uh they would give me a tomato they'd you know wash it with the hose and then just hand it to me and i would just eat it like an apple and Ew. I couldn't say tomato, so I called I called them Bobos. And so the uh, the man of the house, uh, I called him the Bobo Man. So that was his name. How would you spell Bobo? B A B O. Bobo, Bobo Man. Man. Okay. And all That's one word. Awful. Yeah. Okay. But uh, but I do not have the same fondness for tomatoes as I once did. <laughs> oh my goodness! I know. <laughs> I mean, I give a pass at Deanna because she's half alien. Yeah, like maybe she's got weird alien taste buds. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. I like that. Uh, Deanna sends Kestra to her dad to go set the table because she realizes she's about to have a very dark conversation because Soji had referenced, oh, I guess everything that's real is better. Uh, and then we get the story of Thad that he was he had mandaxic neurosclerosis, which is a silicon based virus that messes with your brain, but is easily cured if you have an active positronic matrix. Which is such a, a bomb delay. Yeah. Says basically that you take a culture of the damaged cells, you run them because they're silicon based, you run it through a positronic matrix, you fix them, you stick them back in, and it's a really easily cured disease. But because this was post ban on synthetics, there were no positronic matrixes out there, and it was illegal to develop one. So they lost their child because of this ban by the Federation. That's really then, sad. Obviously, it brought them to a regenerative planet to see if that would help didn't but they kind of built a world there and my guess is they're trying to keep stability for kestra and that's why they've stayed on that planet mm-hmm. right right uh soji after all this says deanna's kindness is suspicious that she doesn't trust her she doesn't trust anyone she very much doesn't trust picard and that she thinks that this is all some sort of mind game if it's real at all uh, picard interrupts her and kind of pushes her buttons to like like Right. The reaction ever and says, you're right. We're going to torture you and dismantle you. Uh, all this kindness from risking our lives has been for no reason. Like, just kind of just kind of rude about it. And Soji tries to walk past. He, like, gets in her way and she shoves him real hard. And then Riker gets out. He's like, hey, hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets really upset because he's protective. That's his captain. 
Deanna says, uh, you know, I shouldn't say this as a former ship's counselor, but you had that coming. <laughs> and then says, like, you don't understand what's going on with her. Like, you need you need to show a level of compassion you're probably not comfortable with even now, even as you've softened. Right. Uh, and says, but we're going to figure it out. Pretend the dining table is the ready room table on the Enterprise, which I thought was adorable. Yep, so cute. And she says, we're going to figure this out. We're going to help you. We're back to Hugh and Elnor on the cube. And here's my biggest problem with the episode. Hugh's acting is awful. Oh, really? It's such a so? short scene. He's just like, everything he says is is like you are in a play in your first year of acting college. Like, you were probably the best actor in your high school, but now you're in a different league. He's just like... I forget what he says because I was just so put off, but he's like, we need to use this power that I always knew was here but was afraid of because we're going to liberate our people. And it's it's a short scene, but it really took me out of it. Oh, I don't know how y'all felt about it. I mean, I thought it was fine. I just like Hugh. So. Uh, I, I felt <laughs> I like bad for I was more emotionally caught up in what was going on I with Hugh. I know he was than... so sad when, when she shot all the XBs. He was yeah. so sad. Sure. So I don't know. I, I went back and watched the scene twice. I was just, it pulled me out of it. I thought it was pretty, as far as Star Trek acting, and like maybe it just says something to the caliber of acting we've seen in this episode True. in the series. I thought it just wasn't up to snuff, but you know, you, you email us in and tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. Um, uh, uh, Eleanor is also there because he's been in hiding. Uh, they're walking towards the center of the cube saying they're going to use some sort of power that's going to help them liberate from the Romulans. And Rizzo pops out and says, how could you think we've not been listening? And now that we know you're going to do this, you have broken the treaty that's going to save you. And I have every right to kill you. And that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> which was very bizarre. Right. So okay. El- okay. Villain telling us exactly what oh, you're going yeah, to right, do. Yeah. <laughs> So, and she's standing there. There's three Romulan agents behind her. They all kind of start shooting. Eleanor does his ninja elf stuff where he kind of disappears and comes back, kills every agent except for Rizzo. Uh, Hugh is kind of off in the corner. Rizzo says, This is not how a Jat Vash and a Kuat Malat should be fighting, and puts her weapon away. And kind of like, without saying it, challenges him to hand to hand combat. And they're fighting, and like I think it's very clear that Elnor is the better fighter, because as soon as she's knocked on her butt, she throws a knife right into Hugh's neck. I know. First of all, I was not expecting that. No. And then when it happened, I was very sad. I was like, no. Me too. Yeah. And then she got away, scot free, as if she hadn't done a thing. And she looked hot. I'm sorry, she looked hot when she was doing it. (laughs) What? She looked good. She's cool. Elnor. Elnor runs over to Hugh. Hugh uh, is basically saying it's up to you now you have to use the xbs to help you to get into that center chamber but like now you're kind of in charge uh yeah uh what i liked was elnor took the knife right out of hugh's neck and threw it right back at rizzo (laughs) i know but then she beamed away and i want to know if that is like a neural implant thing or maybe she has some sort of device that senses if a bullet or a disruptor blast or a knife is coming i think she's just that good i think she was just being like theatrical like you think you can get me, but mm-hmm. you can't. Mm-hmm. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. In in my head, I want it to be some sort of device that senses a knife coming towards you, so it beams you. That out, would but be I, the best. <laughs> I like your idea kind of better. <clears throat> so now uh, Hugh is bleeding out, clutching his neck. Um, he is telling Elnor, "Like uh, I'm very grateful for this moment of hope. It was stupid for me to have this hope for my people, but I'm grateful for it and thank you." And then dies. 
He had such a short run. I felt I really I felt bad for him. Jerk. He was he was like the the most abused character I think in Star Trek <gasps> history. Oh, I disagree. It's Worf. Worf is Worf is Worf fine. is the no Worf is the most crapped on character in the history of Star Trek. And he got a new spine. How's that being crapped on? <laughs> I mean, uh, so his parents die. He's raised an outcast in Siberia of all places. Uh, he joins Starfleet, uh, finally falls in love with a girl named Kalar, and guess what? She's killed, learns he's got a kid, uh, can never connect with the kid on any sort of level, but that's okay because I fell in love with this counselor named Deanna Troy, at which point Riker swoops in, breaks up that, and they get married. He's like, okay, I'm going to go work at DS9. Finally falls in love with this warrior-type woman, Lieutenant Jadzia Dax, and guess what? Jadzia Dax dies. He loses her, too. All while losing, the only thing he cares about in life, really, is his honor being discommendated by the entire Klingon Empire and being a pariah for years of his life yeah but he's got his health (laughs) oh my god (laughs) i think we need a poll on this all right i will will do the poll right now what are we asking who's had a worse life or a hewer wharf or who do you think has had had like the worst life in star trek in star trek are are you gonna give are you gonna have people respond dan or do you want people to pick responses like are we having them choose between hue and wharf the the poll will be um hue or or wharf Ah, okay cool not to mention if you go back and watch next generation Every time Worf fights someone, he usually loses because that's how they show that a foe is insurmountable. They're like, oh, "Oh, Worf's our strongest guy. Go get him. And then he gets knocked out like almost every time. All right. I am doing this right now. I'm going to set it to be for two days. I am tweeting it right now. Perfect. Who has had a worse life in Star Trek? Hugh, the ex-Borg or Worf? So yep. if you have an opinion on this, just go to twitter.com slash Dan Benjamin and it'll be there. I'll even pin the yeah, tweet. Yeah, pin it to the top. I'll I pin it to my profile. fight for the fact that Worf has had the hardest life in Star Trek of any person in that universe. I might have to, I think, I don't know. Mm. Because I feel like Hugh, when he was a Borg, didn't know. Didn't so it's like yeah. he didn't have emotions. And Worf was aware for all of it. Well, but yeah, I think you might be right. But then but other like, Borg have said that they are f- aware of things. Right, they are even feeling when they things are Borg. and they are wanting That's true. to That's be true. independent. Okay. And, and according to Keith, he was assimilated at least three times. Right. So yep. it's imagine somebody who's been made a Borg, then been freed, learns about independence, right. then sent back to the collective, right. gets out again. Uh-huh. I'm free finally again. <laughs> it's great to be alive. Oh no, I'm a Borg again. <laughs> and then finally again. now, oh, welcome back to the real world. You're free again and, and you're I going to get place. to help other right. Borg guys and gals come out of being a Borg. You're going to be like their dad. And then <laughs> you're killed by some hot girl throwing a knife at your neck. Yeah, but he died happy and his smile. He's like, thanks for the hope. What's worse, going to techno jail a couple times or every girl you fall in love with dying or being <laughs> smashed by Riker? Okay, we or- have we already have now seven votes in. Oh, already. Okay. that's fast. Seven yep. votes. Hugh the ex-Borg is at 57.1%. Wow. Ridiculous. And Worf is at 42.9%. Ridiculous. Let's go Team Hugh. <laughs> Team Hugh. No. <laughs> Team Worf. <laughs> I would put it to me, if you would rather have Hugh's life or, War- or Worf's life, I'd rather have Hugh's life. Either. I'd rather have Worf's life. He's still That's hanging insane. out. He's fine. 
How many wives do you want to go through? I, at least he's alive and can get more wives if he wants them. <laughs> Hugh's dead. Hugh never had any right. wives. Right. Which right. would you rather have? A wife that you wound up not staying with or no wives? I feel bad for Hugh. He's a, he's yeah. a, a guy. He's just trying to live you. his life. And now he, everything he gets, he's shut down. I think he, I think and he's walking around with the implant still in him. That can't be comfortable. Worf got a spine, but he's fine right away. Yeah, whatever. Worf's kid was, he bothered me. Andrew. Andrew. Be better. He's just like, he's like, dad. Kalis. That's my Worf impression. (laughs) Yeah. that's Kalis. That's Uh, all I got. I always like Alexander. Alexander. What I call him, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he deserves, though, with that haircut. So, did you know that the first actor for um, Alexander? Yep. uh, Keith, you probably know the story better than I do. Didn't he? Didn't he kill himself or something? Oh, I have no idea. I just know they replaced him. I don't think he killed himself. I remember seeing an article with him where he's like, "Yeah, they didn't call me back because I wasn't the right size or something." But, no, uh, he died of suicide. Hold on. I I, I, okay. I beg to Fine. differ. Star Trek actor right, John please. Paul Stewart died of suicide. Uh, former Star Trek and Little Giants actor John Paul Stewart's January death has been ruled a suicide. He was 33 years oh. old, self-inflicted gunshot wound. Oh. He played Alexander in the Next Generation saga of the sci-fi series and also held the role of Quentin Kelly in the 90s sitcom Grace Under Fire before quitting Whoa. acting. That's sad. Yeah. What a downer. Team Hugh! <laughs> oh my God. Uh, did you... Uh, have you guys... Uh, have you guys finished DS9 or not? No, I am no. not. Uh, Alexander comes back into Worf's life in DS9 in a really kind of sad, not Worf way. And, you, and like when you finally go watch that show, you'll see why. And just constant letdowns in Worf's life. Um, There's somebody uh, way off. Joseph Sorry, R. Jones on Twitter. Uh, this is live. The show is yes, live. Yes, show is live. Um, sure. And and if people would like to listen live, they just have to tune into my Twitter account to see when I announce it. But mm-hmm. he he says I would like to submit for your consideration, and it is a a video. Worf gets denied again and again oh, yeah, I've seen on that. Star yeah. Trek TNG. So that sure. will be in our show notes for this episode. Because when you think about it, like. Not only is he a warrior, but he's the tactical officer. His job is to constantly say what is a threat. And Picard is just always so, let's give him a sign of good faith. Like, right. Not Very pacifist. So we have to. So, yeah, there's a compilation. What is it? Like half an hour long of like him saying, we should do this. And it's like, no, 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 no. But because- at, least, at least Worf had the freedom to join the Federation or leave it. He could have hung out right. and right. stand, jo- join the Klingon uh, guys and been a, run one of those. He got multiple offers in TNG, I thought. Didn't they ask to, him to be like the yeah, king was, of everything? Yeah, he could have been over there. <laughs> he had opportunities. He, his choices may have been bad. He might have picked women he w- shouldn't have picked. He could have oh, been whoa, a different whoa, thing. Whoa, I'm whoa. just saying Hugh had no choice. Hugh, the whole life, his whole life was... S- decided for decided him. Decided for him. Thank you. But you know what? The, also, yeah, with he's not like, suffering. He's part of the collective. Anyone who ever came on the ship was always like, no, oh, you have a Klingon here. I don't like them. <laughs> yeah. That's and right. then when he was discommendated, like when other Klingons would come on, they'd be like, what is this thing doing here? <laughs> like, right. You're no man. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. We'll, we'll come back to this. Let's get back to the recap. <laughs> uh, we're back on the last Serena. Rafi is giving Gerardi cake and she says, do you need more milk? 
Andrade says yes. She says chocolate milk. And she's like, no, that might be too much. And we can just see how kind of reserved Gerardi is in general. Like her big treat, her big like get my mind <laughs> right. up things is cake. And maybe chocolate milk is too much of an indulgence. Right, like get get crazy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. right. Meanwhile, Rafi's over there with like her snake flower vape yeah. and her whiskey bottle. It's right. like, oh, I yep. see. <laughs> and just getting wrecked. I thought uh, she was going to give her some of the snake leaf. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Uh, she she ca- says to Rafi, I think you're a very good person. Rafi says that she's the wreckage of a good person, which I love. She's yeah. like, I have pieces, an emergency I could put together a good person, but I'm really not. Rios interrupts them and says, hey, the, the shadow is back. Uh, we got our guy. And they're like, how is that possible? And he's like, I guess they're tracking us or something. And Gerardi starts puking. Uh, Rios <laughs> says, is that blood? And Rafi <laughs> says, no, it's it's red velvet. <laughs> uh, I will point out, too, um, after the is it the last episode or was the episode before that, uh, Rafi has been basically denied her mom card. And now she gets to kind of mother Gerardi and give her milk. And she's acting like a kid. I didn't pick and, up on that. You're right. Yeah, so I she kind of gets to mother a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Oh, Hattie. Mama. That's wonderful. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Mama. No, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. And it, how mm-hmm. it comes kind of naturally to Rafi right. anyway. Right. Definitely. Dang. Nail on the head. Uh, we're at the dinner table now, back on the Nepenth, and Riker is dishing out the pizza. And I thought, <laughs> it's in the background, but it's really, really cute. Uh, I like that he keeps referring to uh, Troy as Imzadi, mm-hmm. which yes. is, you know, the... Betazoi word for beloved says uh, says to Soji guests get two slices and gives her two slices of pizza. <laughs> um, Kestra the the young child. Uh, uh, now hang child on, pause, pause for a second, Keith. I have a, I have a a a beta a Betazoid question for you. Sure. Okay. Betazoids, as we have discussed in previous episodes, are telepathic mm-hmm. to varying degrees. Sure. Now, last week you explained that, uh, or last episode you explained that. Different Betazoids, just like different human beings, have different skills in that area. We were talking sure. about spoken language on Betazoid as compared to speaking telepathically. And um, as we know, uh, Diana is half human, half yep. Betazoid. So her telepathic powers are significantly reduced compared to, for example, her mom, who as she doesn't you all, have telepathic powers. She only has empathic. Powers. Empath- right. right. She but she can communicate feelings. telepathically with her mom, but that is Correct. more of a product of her mom's increased telepathic ability and her ability right. to receive it. But right. she is not out there communicating telepathically per se. It's more empathic. No. Now here's what I'll say. Okay. Is that, like, there, there needs to be a powerful telepath at, at the point for her to talk to and right. not just pay the Z's. But she can speak telepathically with Riker. Oh. oh okay. That is a thing that can happen. And it has to do with the bond of someone who is an Imzadi. Like, like when you give yourself over too much, like, I guess spending that much time together. Yeah, the connection or like the brainwave patterns. Uh, all I know is that. They like, sit, the they're ver- synced up. They have a connection. Yes. Okay. Now, my question is. Um, in the past, though, we have always seen her being very useful in things like negotiations or helping Picard, uh, kind sure. of, or, or or the crew as a as as a whole. When she'd say, "Oh, he's hiding something," or "Oh, they're nervous about that," or whatever. So she's very. It's very easy for her to sense emotions, and there and were multiple yeah. instances where 
she would talk about data and say, well, I don't get anything from him. But then there was one episode, once he did have emotions and had his emotion chip and things like that, she would say, and especially in the one episode where I think Lore was sending angry emotions into Data, right, and, Data and she's being- like, he was pissed off and it was coming from Data. And so she <laughs> can sense emotions from an android if the android is feeling those emotions. So the problem that I had with this episode is since Soji it seems to have fully integrated emotions. And much more advanced than Data, just Correct, much more than the emotion chip. Isn't she feeling real emotions and shouldn't Deanna be able to feel those emotions? I 100% agree with you and I don't have any answer for that. Listeners, help yeah, us out. Yeah, you got an answer. I th- maybe because yeah. she's more um, advanced, maybe there's more blocks, maybe like a, for protection or something. Okay, no that's a good theory. When she was activated, maybe right. the emotions were... A, hidden in some way? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I have no clue. Okay. Or maybe they're programmed her in the same way a hologram can have emotions, but you probably can't sense them because they're just made out of light. Mm-hmm. So it is, but it, but no matter what, it seems like it's different from the kind of emotions that Data was feeling. If you remember sure. once Q let Data laugh, yeah, and it was <laughs> obvious that um, she could sense it. that she could sense that when he was feeling that that true first emotion of yep. laughter. And uh, when uh, his daughter Lal was malfunctioning, she started sensing emotion from Lal saying, hey, she's very upset. You were right. Right. Yep. So even that's an android that didn't even have an emotion chip. But through some malfunction, had emotion. Right. And she could sense it. So you're right. right. I have no idea why. Okay. Uh, at, we're at the dinner table. Riker's dishing out the pizza. Kestris suggests that Ka- uh, Captain Picard look up Captain Crandall says that he's, I guess, somewhere in this system and is currying uh, uh, people back and forth to different planets and that he might be able to help. And they <laughs> Riker kind of shoots her down and says, Rupert Crandall is as broken as his ship. And, like, not a good idea. Soji, <laughs> uh, after a long talk, uh, Picard is slowly gaining her trust by saying, hey, I know you have heightened senses now, so almost in a Deanna Troy-style way, like, look at my pupils, listen to my heart rate, like, I'm telling you, you can trust me. Like, what do you think? And she's like, I think you believe what you're saying, but I'm not sure if I trust you. They talk about uh, the the ceremony that Narek put her through. And then she finally admits, she goes, I need to get home. Or at least I want to go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Picard says he is so haunted by the past that he's been wasting his life away. But like, now that he's met Dodge and met Soji, that his life has some sort of meaning. And this is my mission now. And if you think you can stop me from doing the mission, you've got another thing coming. And right. everyone thinks this is very amusing because he does says it with a lot of levity. Soji finally lets loose and says, okay, the planet I'm looking for is two blood red moons and a thunderstorms almost constantly. And Kestra finds the plan. I thought she was just like searching in a database because she had a little small transparent. Yeah, I thought she was she was just Googling for the planet, (laughs) but she was not. She was texting with her friend, Captain Crandall, who we know is still like kind of an old coot, says it's in the Vate sector in the Ghoulian system that the planet does not have a name, but it does have a number. Any predictions on what the number might be and if it will mean anything? No predictions, but I like who your head's at. (laughs) Maybe two uh, because there's Dodge and Soji or something. I don't know. Planet two in the Ghoulian <laughs> system. Uh, on the ship, Rios takes Gerardi to sick bay. Uh, uh, Rios, uh, because she's been throwing up, Rios tells Gerardi he thinks they're being tracked somehow. 
but says he thinks it's Raffi because yeah. And and how Dan do you, and I had a theory. Yeah, about we had a theory. This. Go, what was what was our well, theory? Well, he he knows Raffi so well, so well. I feel like he was kind of baiting Gerardi with this, yeah. kind of being like, "Hey, between you and me, I think it's Raffi." Just so that she, I mean, he knows that she's so easily malleable. So I think he kind of did that to kind of get her to fess up because he saw she was already breaking anyway. Right. So I don't know. That's that was a really my good theory. theory. Yeah. Uh, Gerardi tells Rios it's not her. And just like then gets really, really silent. Um, Rios is like, uh, but you've been on the ship since Earth. And they kind of have the exchange this weird knowing look. So maybe he gets it now. I think you guys might be spot on. Maybe he was like goading her. But then he gets up and leaves. Uh, she kind of slinks over to a replicator and replicates a hypospray of neuranium hydride. Uh, the computer says, hey, this is going to have some bad neuro effects on people, uh, on some species. But she doesn't care and injects herself with it, immediately falls over and foams at the mouth. The EMH pops up, says, what's the nature? Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, they're... they're so he's going to try and take care of her. Rio says he might know how to stop their shadow, but Rafi won't like it. Rafi says, why does it involve shooting me out of an airlock? And he says, I hope not. So maybe he does suspect. Right. Rafi. Maybe yeah, he that's does what made me yeah. doubt our theory when I heard that. But I yeah. still I'm still not sure. And at that point, of course, he's called in to see her in a, in a coma. Yeah. EMH calls and says the. Uh, uh, he might want to come check on her. Like, why she's just throwing up? He goes, well, I'm less worried about the stomach stuff and the fact that she's in coma. I also want to point out, maybe he thinks Rafi's acting weird because he's only ever seen Rafi as a badass. And she is right. really putting herself on the line to, like, help this person and help Picard and, you know, be a mom to Gerardi. Maybe he's just like, this does not seem like it's the out Rafi of character. We're back on the cube and Elnor is running from the Romulans and for the first time we see him have a lot of fear and shaking. He's all bloodied up. Uh, he's kind of sitting in a corner and he looks up and he sees something hanging off a, of a console and it is a Fenris Ranger card. The same thing that Seven of Nine gave to Picard. He picks it up and then he presses it and it activates somehow. Right. The signal and has been sent, thus explaining how we Seven of Nine Seven will be back. Yeah, yeah. Puts the the little card in his hands and then almost looks like he's praying. Mm-hmm. Uh, back on the panth, Riker and Picard are talking about how he's going to get off world and how, what his new crew is like. He taps his commuter communicator, says Rios ETA, and goes the same thing you asked me the last two times. <laughs> like cuts him off, <laughs> being kind of kind of snarky. Um, so I guess that at least they're in communication range now. Uh, and Riker finds the whole thing kind of funny. Uh, Picard asks Riker, would you ever think of going back to Starfleet? He says, well, I'm still in active reserve. My guess is that when Thad got sick, he took a leave of absence. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Picard has a really nice moment with Riker while they're sitting on this, like, kind of like in a, in like a gazebo on a bench overlooking the river. And they're kind of like, like he's in Riker's arms. And, yeah. you know, he just kind of says like, hey, and Picard says to Riker, I want to thank you. And he's like, for what? Picard goes, for so much, but mostly not trying to talk me out of this. And he goes, mm-hmm. I know I would never have been able to. Uh, Kestra and Soji are inside the house. Kestra says that what got her through her brother's death was leaning on her mom and dad. And Soji's like, I don't have a mom and dad. She's like, but you have Picard. And, you know, now he's got you. And, like, she's like, that's not really our relationship. And she's like, it could be. Right. And so she says, I'll think about it. 
and then right before uh, they leave uh, Penthe uh, with Soji and Picard, Kestra gives Soji her compass and says, you have to pretend that it works. And then they beam out. Uh, my theory about the compass is that it's not broken. It's just an Earth compass. Uh, and it just doesn't work on that planet. Right, the yeah. poles <laughs> are too different. And, and yeah, I, that's but my guess. Do you think that the compass will prove to be useful in, or, or in valuable way? in some way? I, I think in a, an emotional way, but not a practical way. Ah. Okay. I think when she like really is trying to figure out who to trust, she'll look at the compass. And it'll and point right at Picard. Right. Uh, I don't think that whoever that his, his this compass points or whatever. at, I will trust. And she puts it down and there's it's a like Romulan, the Romulan chick on the one side, Picard on the other, and it points at Picard. She's, and she just shoots the, the, the blaster right at the uh, at uh, Rizzo. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and that's your prediction. And scene. Right. And then uh, I'm not going to talk about anything in the next week's episode trailer because it looks bonkers where are you seeing I know, the trailers i couldn't get mine to play i'm I, on the cbs it. app and it doesn't it goes all the way to the end in the credits and then it just it goes just, to black i watch on my computer and it just automatically plays mm. it's a computer but, thing see we don't have yeah. i don't have that with we mine. don't you're, have you're on the computers a, you're on the apple tv I am, right yes. yes i'm on the but apple it, tv also it looks insane Oh, and, Keith, you uh, yeah. you meant to mention the um, the see the very very quick scene when after Jurati puts the uh, hypo spray on her that it shows Narek seeing that her tracker is now no longer there. Right. What? Yeah. Yeah. When she throws up. Yeah, she starts getting all uh, foamy at the mouth, and then uh, it shows Narek. And he kind of has like a cool three uh, right, D map. And there's some little sounds. And the and little thing goes, the little blinking light goes away, and he starts spinning. And then he says some sort of curse word. In, Got it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, to me, I thought it was he was exclaiming positively, but you're absolutely no, right. No, he was pissed. He yeah. was like, "Oh, oh I just goodness. lost my signal." Right. And I guess it it makes sense that because Rizzo and him are kind of working for Commodore O, that she would have passed along the tracker information. Yes. I didn't even catch that. Good catch, man. That's yep. rad. I thought that's what it had to deal with, but now I'm ahead. Hell yeah. <laughs> so good episode. I don't really think it was episode. my favorite or the best. It was it was good. But I'm, I'm I'll tell you why. To- I'll tell you why for me it was my favorite episode. And Please. again, not not my best. Not, right, the, not best, the best. Not the best, but one my, of your my favorite. favorite. Uh because for me, this is there this is kind of we're in the middle section of the show now. Of this right, what episode was this? Seven. Seven. And so we're technically we're past the halfway point, but we're still in that middle section where now we really know who everyone is. We really know what's going on. Right. The characters are very familiar for us. We care about them, even the new ones we care about now. And so that's kind of out of the way now. Um, there's been a bunch of action, but we, we get the sense now that we're getting closer to things coming to a conclusion right. and fruition now. And I like that's one of my favorite points of a TV show or a movie when the momentum is building. And this episode was almost a little bit in a way there was still a lot of exposition and still a lot of action. <clears throat> but we we kind of got a break from the feeling of the regular show again without losing touch with it. Right. And And what I really like is that this show is not about things we do on the spaceship. Right. This is things Picard sure. does. And I like that. And this showed him reuniting with some beloved characters. And they found a way to bring the characters back in with uh, Deanna and Will 
without making it seem stupid and or, it didn't or contrived. Seem contrived. Yeah, right. it, like, there I was totally a agree with you. Reason. Yeah. yeah, and and I thought that. The uh, the girl, what was the girl's name? Didn't you say you looked her up? Lulu is the name of the, yeah, the Lulu, daughter of Kestra. Kestra. Mm-hmm. She's great. I thought she nailed she it. She is great. We're going to, in like 10 years, she's going to be a big actress. Yeah, I can. You know? t- yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, I just, I liked her. I liked how, you know, I feel like they, the, the re- Soji's kind of reaction and coming to terms with not not only are you only three years old, but you're an android and like your parents, your aren't, parents real. aren't real. And <laughs> like that was a lot to process in a short period of time. I thought her reaction was good, but I feel like that just that could have been a whole episode. They didn't have right. the time for it. So they did have to kind of shoehorn it in to this episode. But they were exploring the dynamic between Picard and. And other people in his life, right? Mm-hmm. So they were exploring after all this time. Uh, yeah, and and so they're they're what? How is he going to interact with Soji, this new person in his life, or new mm-hmm. android in his life? And then also visiting these really good old friends, new and, and old, mm-hmm. and the relationship that he had with Will and with Deanna was both a professional one, but a very personal one at the right. same time. And you know, it was very clear that Riker had very much was now now thought of not only thought of Picard as his friend but almost as an older person who, who needs, he needs to him take care of mm-hmm. yes there was yeah there was very much that caring for the way that when you know, Soji pushed him you know he was like hey you know it was very protective right and, and it wasn't protective of like you've insulted my, my office right. my senior officer it was that's like kind of my dad over there. And also there. he's like so really old. Like you, yeah, be nice. Yeah. <laughs> I you like have to that. think that there is a time when Will is promoted to being captain of the Titan before Picard's promoted to Admiral. Admiral. They're peers. Right. Right. Like they're both it's no longer separate. They are absolutely at the same level. So that immediately is going to change their relationship. Yeah. yeah. And also when they were sitting there on the dock uh, on the lake and Picard almost looks very, very small yes. next to him and yes. very old. And, yeah. and w- the way he kind of reaches up at the end and puts his hand um, on Will's on hand Will's on his hand. shoulder. And I just, it looked very much like he wasn't, he was accepting. Yeah. It was, ex- he was accepting that he was not like head honcho anymore he's like i kind of need you and then i'm no longer this like powerhouse like you're you're still younger than me you got you've got more time than i do definitely and and i thought in addition to that you know you mentioned picard being smaller Uh will's gotten a little bigger Uh (laughs) and and you know but it was it was interesting because you're seeing each of them now in a different stage of of their lives and i'm i forget exactly but i believe and the only episode that I can recall that they talked about this is the one where um, where Picard and um, and Cr- uh, Wesley Crusher were on a shuttle going somewhere yes, and they I crash landed onto like a desert yep. type mm-hmm. of planet with the other guy and the other guy's dude is out there and he's like drinking alcohol and Picard's like don't drink alcohol in the desert it will only make you more dehydrated (laughs) and so it was all barium whiskey yeah and so they're walking around out there and Picard out of all three of them is like kicking ass he's like no we got we're only gonna walk another 30 kilometers what do you guys have a problem with that and um Wesley says to the other guy not bad for 75 years old or whatever Mm -hmm. he was supposed to be so Mm -hmm. in 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 the tv show Will is still younger 
than Picard was in the first episode of TNG. Right, if I'm right. if Definitely. I'm right about that, mm-hmm. and yep. and so but uh, so it's not to say that Will seemed old, but Will seemed much older than he used to uh-huh, right. seem. And I but I liked that. Me too. And, and he was a family man now. You know, he was on the planet. He was a family man. He's making hanging out pizza. with his wife, making pizza. Like his big event of the day and maybe the week is like I'm making pizza on Wednesday. Right. I liked that, and I like, but I, I just, I, it was fun to reconnect with those characters. It was interesting to see what had happened. They'd suffered a loss, and their relationship was different because of it. And they were feeling about their daughter a certain way. And I don't know. I just a lot of interpersonal stuff in this episode. It was meaningful, and I really liked that. Oh, that, my no, favorite episode. Okay, um, just as before we close things out, I just want to mention an update on the uh, current votes, please. Um, <laughs> Hugh has had a worse life than Worf, who is coming in at 26.8%. Still not too late to vote. I'm leaving it open for at least another day. Look, Hugh is still very raw for people. You're voting with your gut <laughs> instead of voting with your brain. Yeah. Think about everything that Worf has been through in his life. I'd rather be a Borg drone than have everything in my life just fall apart to crap mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. But at least Worf has lived, you know? He's lived. He's he has loved. lived. He's loved. Better to love and have loved, loved and lost than have never loved, loved at all. all. There we go. Q. All right. I don't know. I, t- I talk about this a lot, how I think Worf has suffered more than anyone. I'm not going to disagree that Worf has right. suffered. I mean, he's suffered. <laughs> Torches of the damned. But sure. Hugh has had it worse. Now, <laughs> either way, uh, go to my Twitter and, and vote uh, on who you think and send us some email. We'd love to read your email on the show. Picard at 5x5.tv or just go to picard.fireside.fm. Click the contact link and send us your feedback. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin. Hattie is at Hattie Bird, H-A-D-D-I-E Bird. And Keith <laughs> is uh, Keith Ruckus, R-U-C-K-U-S. Even though that That's sounds me. made up, it is legit. And sure. um, we'd love to hear from you however you want to contact us. But if you want it on the show, it's got to be email. And uh, we'll be back next week. Only three more episodes. I have Aww. two things. One, remember we said seven or nine was going to be in four episodes. That has not happened. My thought is this, that it was not the last four episodes. It was four She's going to be four, in four total in the last three. And then the fourth was the one where they were on the gambling plan. Right. Okay. And then second- Definitely in the next one, by the way. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Well, he saw the preview that we didn't see. Oh, right. That's very true. Uh, But no. And then uh, the tea. I had my Earl Grey while I watched. I did, too. I had mine while I watched this morning with Earl Grey tea. So I will drink mine today and I will tweet you a picture of me drinking Earl Grey. Okay, good. All right. (laughs) Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. We will be back next week to do the. Third of the last three yeah. episodes. I hate to say it. Third of three. Third of three. Seven of nine. Yeah. <laughs> third of five. Yes. So uh, nine. have a good week, everyone. Woo. Waiting for Hattie to say bye. Oh, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>